Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those of you who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you... Oh, okay. (laughs) Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Monsieur Day. I'm going to try to project my voice and not use this. So if you can't hear me, just give me a little, you know, ear. and I'll, I'll try to speak up a little bit. Um, Let me pray for us before we start this morning. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we just thank you for, God, just the honor to sit just in the the body of Christ, Lord, um, and worship you, hear your truth spoken over us. I pray this morning, God, that you would speak to us through your word, that your word would come alive, um, and that our hearts just would be changed this morning. In your precious holy name we pray, amen. Hope everyone's weekend was wonderful and full of turkey and gratitude. Um, I'm really excited to be before you today and to finish out our series on the church. We've been talking about different metaphors of the church. Um, Brian spoke about um, the church as a temple. We've talked about the church as the bride, church as the body, and last week Brian talked about church as a family. And so I'm gonna kind of do an extension of last week today and continue our talk on church as a family. And so I think this passage in Ephesians is like, it's one of the most wonderful descriptions of peace and reconciliation that we see Paul write about. And I want to talk to you this morning about division within the church and God's heart for unity among his body. And so several weeks ago, when I realized I was going to be preaching on family, I was really hoping for one of those like really warm passages, you know, that you just read about the body of Christ, and it just makes you feel good. Um, But all the ones I read, I just wasn't connecting with that I was supposed to teach on. And so God brought me back to this passage, and it had come up for me a couple of times over the past two months. Once was at a conference at Moody, 
And then the second time it came up was in my GC. We had a GC girls night and Christine Gores was leading us. And we were to read Ephesians 1 through 3 and choose which passage, spoke, which verses spoke to us most. And we were supposed to do like art, kind of like draw a picture or whatever, kind of how that passage spoke to us. So this is the passage that spoke to me. And I thought it was beautiful because we see this like heart of justice in Jesus and we see him breaking down these walls and these barriers and putting to death this hostility. And we see this new humanity. And so I was just like, wow, that's amazing. But then equally, I was really grieved by this passage because it just reminded me of how within our church presently, Jesus destroyed all of those walls and all of those barriers and we have rebuilt them within the church. And so that's kind of where we're going this morning and I'm gonna show you the art I drew towards the end. Um, so just hang in there and we'll talk about it at the end, but I wanted to kind of just go through some history with you guys about this passage and what's happening. So let's dive in. Um, the first thing we see is that the Gentiles were an alienated humanity. So there were two groups of people in this time. There were the Jews and there were the Gentiles. The Jews were God's chosen people. They were the ones who received the promise through Abraham. Um, they followed the Mosaic law and all the regulations. They deemed themselves superior to the Gentiles and they referred to themselves as the circumcised. The Gentiles were alienated from God. They were alienated from God's people and they didn't know that God planned to bring them into his kingdom and so they were without hope. And so they were an alienated people without hope. And just to help you understand even more the tension between the two of them, even within the temple, within the temple courts, the Gentiles were not allowed in, within the temple courts. So they had their own separate courtyard outside of the temple courts. And that is the only place they were allowed within the temple. And there were signs posted around the temple in, um, in Greek and Latin that said, like, if you enter here, like as a Gentile, if you enter, like you will be put to death. So they were not welcome in God's temple. And so we see this terrible deprivation of ancient, the ancient Gentile world that existed before Christ. And so something had to give, something had to happen. This wasn't God's design for his people. And so then Jesus comes, the Messiah comes, and he starts teaching and preaching that the Gentiles too can have this access to God's kingdom and to God's temple. And then the, the tensions and divisions rise even more between the Gentiles and Jews. Because the Jews, if, if, if the Gentiles are now a part of God's kingdom, then the Jews expect the Gentiles to follow all of the Mosaic law in all of the regulations and to become like the Jews. And so it was very messy. And in this passage, we see Jesus taking justice into his own hands. So the Jews and Gentiles couldn't reconcile on their own and the Gentiles couldn't be near to God or part of God's family unless Jesus became peace. And so let's read, um, go back to verse 14 through 18, and you guys can read it with me. It says, for he himself is our peace, 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so we see three things happening here. We see the law of the commandments is abolished. We see a new humanity is created. And we see the Jews and Gentiles are reconciled. So when it says the law of commandments were abolished, these were the laws that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. These would have been, this would have been referring to like the ceremonial laws, circumcision, dietary regulations, the Sabbath, all of those laws that excluded the Gentiles because they were not Jewish. They were not, these were not their laws. So Jesus came and he set aside those laws and he established peace, bringing the Gentiles from a place of exclusion to inclusion. And so to clarify, the law wasn't abolished and now the Gentiles were to become the Jews. They, the law was abolished and they remained who they were as Gentiles. I think it's really important that we remember that. So once these laws were abolished, a new humanity was created. There was nothing left to separate the two groups anymore because Jesus had abolished these laws and regulations. And so God brought them together by the sovereign act of creation through Christ's death on the cross. And we see Jesus taking on all of humanity in his flesh, embodying all of their differences and all of their divisions. He embodies all of that. And in his resurrection, there is now a new humanity before God, a new humanity that existed. So we see peace established, a new human race exists, and now they are united by Christ. I love this quote by John Stott. It says, The new unity, through and in Christ, does more than span the Jew-Gentile divide. In other passages, Paul says that it also does away with sexual and social distinctions. Here there cannot be Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. Again, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Not that the facts of human differentiation are removed. Men remain men. Women remain women. Jews remain Jews and Gentiles remain Gentiles. But inequality before God is abolished. There is a new unity in Christ. And so once these laws have been abolished, a new humanity is created, then we see the reconciliation of Jew and Gentile. The dividing walls between them has been destroyed. And I love that Jesus doesn't like leave them in this chaos. Because imagine like this new humanity being created. Like the way that you were used to things is like no more. Like there is a new humanity. And so he settles them into this new identity. And Paul continues to settle them all throughout Ephesians. You constantly see Paul trying to settle the two of them. 
and work this ministry of reconciliation. And it makes me think of like a screaming child who really wants something, but you know it's not good for them. And they're just screaming because they want this thing. And you're like, no, like I know best, like as a parent, like it's not good for you. And they're just screaming and screaming. And I just feel like this is Paul trying to settle them throughout like the New Testament. Just constantly trying to say like, this is what is best for you. Like peace and unity, like that is what is best for you. That is the heart of God. So he reconciled them to each other, making peace. But he also reconciles them to God. And we see how Jesus' resurrection brought a new, united human race, united in itself and united to its creator. This doesn't mean that the whole human race is now united and reconciled. We know from observation, and many of you know from experience, that that's not the truth, that's not the case. And so we see the next stage of Christ that Paul goes on to mention is peace. We see in this passage that Jesus is peace, he establishes peace, and then he makes peace available to his people, horizontally, between us. And we see it all throughout the New Testament, like peace is what Jesus longed for his people to have. In Colossians 3.15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with all men. And so ultimately, God wills peace for his people. And so once this new humanity has been created, we kind of see what this new humanity is supposed to look like. What does it mean? And in verse 19 through 22, we're going to look at that next. Um, says you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people the Gentiles now have a kingdom they have become citizens of God's international kingdom that is their new position where Jesus has brought them from they are no longer an alienated people but they have citizenship citizenship in the greater kingdom of God and the next thing it says is that they are also members of his household. And so it's one thing to be a part of a kingdom, and it's another thing to be part of an intimate household. This signifies like a close, like brotherly, sisterly affection, love, care, support. They've now received the promised inheritance of God's people through Abraham. They are part of that now. And so we see again the Gentiles moving from a place of exclusion to inclusion. And as members of God's household, it says that they are built on the foundation of the New Testament teachings. This would have been like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, like all the teachings that we see. The Gentiles would have been hearing these teachings, hearing that they now have access to God. They now can be one in Christ. So these are all the teachings that are that is their foundation of their faith. And it also refers to Jesus being the chief cornerstone as part of that foundation. And we see Jesus mentioned as the cornerstone throughout many parts in the Bible. In Isaiah, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. 
the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. And so the ancient buildings in this time were built around the cornerstone. So it would have been like the center stone and that everything would have been built around, like all the plans, all the architecture would have been around this stone. And these stones have been found in Palestine weighing like 570 tons. Like they're massive, guys. They're not these tiny stones. And so these, to- these stones promise security in a time of destruction. So if a flood came and washed out the whole building, you know what stone remained? The cornerstone. And that was the stone that, that was a refuge for people. That was their place of safety. And I, so I love that Jesus here is referred to the cornerstone because we see him being a cornerstone and being the place of safety and refuge for his people, specifically the Gentiles. So they now have a home, and they have a home that's built on the foundation of Jesus. And the next thing we see is the temple. Um, we see, uh, it says, let's see, in 21, it says, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And so we see the Jews and Gentiles, they're joined together. They're intertwined with all of their differences, and they rise to become a holy temple in the Lord. And the whole act of this new humanity and the whole purpose of this rising and building to become this temple was to be a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. That was the whole purpose. Because God's spirit couldn't dwell among them. Because there was too much hostility, there was too much division, and God's spirit doesn't have a place there. And so Jesus brought them together, breaking down those barriers, creating this new dwelling place for God's spirit. So what does this mean for us today? So as before, I said, I told you about my drawing, and I'll let Lauren pull it up. (coughs) Guys, this is a very humble picture. This is like (laughs) elementary grade art right here, so no judgments. But I'm going to show you what I saw when I read this passage and what I think it means for us today. So you're going to see, do you see the kind of little buildings in between the tall black um, lines? So those would be denominations within the church or within the greater church. So these are all different denominations. The black lines would be barriers that we experience between our denominations. So then within that single domination, Denomination, you see these kind of pillars that people are standing on. And there's a person on every pillar, and they're all different. So in my mind, this could signify, like, a lot of different things. This could be race. This could be gender. This could be socioeconomic status. This could be politics. It could be power groups. Anytime someone else is being elevated and someone else is being pushed down, anytime that is happening, Like, that's what those columns are kind of signifying. So that unity that Jesus came to bring, like, we don't see that here. But yet, the red lines going across is his blood that already came and abolished and destroyed all of that. So how did all those barriers get there? Jesus didn't put them there, because why would he, like, die for us to put all of that to death? To just like, re, you know, have it rebuilt. And so I think there's three things that we can take away from this this morning, and it's to remember where we came from. Just like Paul is telling the Gentiles to remember who you once were, like we too need to remember who we once were. 
So we, at one point, were alienated from God, just like the Gentiles were alienated from God. Remember that you didn't get it once, whatever that it is for you. Like, remember when you didn't get it. Um, We try to forget a lot of things that happen to us, but Paul really encourages for this to try and remember. Because if we remember our former alienation, then we are able to remember the greatness of the grace that forgave us and is continuing to transform us. Are you guys with me? Okay. The second thing um, is accepting our responsibility within the church. The walls, the barriers, and the hostility that we bring. Um, And if your mind is immediately kind of going to a place of, oh, I know who needs to hear this. (laughs) They're a hostile person. (laughs) Um, I just would encourage you to, like, stay in your own yard this morning and, like, think about yourself (laughs) and (laughs) try to just just inwardly focus. Um, And maybe you aren't connecting with this at all. Maybe you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I do not bring anything into the church. Like, I'm just here on Sunday doing my thing. And I just would encourage you to rethink your role in the church. Last week, Brian talked a lot about radical individualism and how we see that a lot in the church. We come, we show up, and it is very vertical. Like, this is between Jesus and I, and there is not a lot of horizontal. And so I would just say, if you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus, you have a horizontal relationship with the church. Like, that that can be undone like that is part of being a part of his kingdom and so there is no vertical relationship with God that excludes the horizontal and it's really important to remember that so even if you're here and you feel disconnected or maybe like you're like burned by the church and you're on the margins right now of the church you're still a part of the church like you are still the church because there is no longer I within the church like it is a we a we collectively And so, just to help you even more understand this, there's this quote from Tish Harrison Warren um, from her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. I highly recommend it. It says, The church is not an entity outside of me. I do not stand on the outside looking in. I am as much part of the church as in the words of Paul, a hand is a part of the body. That means that when I see sin in the church, I am implicated in it. I contribute to the brokenness of the church. I have dealt wounds to others. I have been unfaithful to the bridegroom. Every church leader and church member is in no insignificant way a failure. So, I, I believe this. I think that this is true. Like, if we are all connected and we are all one body. I know you guys have probably heard this example before, but, like, if I break my wrist or I break my leg, like, my whole body is affected. And, like, we are the body of Christ. Like, we are the church. Like, not this building. Like, this building is not the church. Like, any of the buildings where churches are meeting across the city right now, like, that is not the church. Like, the church is the people. And there's all these groups of churches, and then there's the greater church that spans across the globe. Like, we are all the church. And we are all connected because we are all part of the same kingdom, and we are all part of the same household. So any barriers and dividing walls of hostility that we have created within the church, they have no basis. Yeah. Come on. 
So the ways in which we devalue, we limit, and we take advantage of others has no basis or grounds. And it cannot be justified in God's kingdom. And the reason it can't is because Christ already took on all of that hostility. He already took all of that on at the cross and he destroyed it. And so it has no place in his kingdom. He is a God of inclusion, not exclusion. And so it's really important for us to remember our role. um, Because when we remember our role in the church, we can acknowledge it, we can repent, we can seek forgiveness, we can forgive, and we can see peace prevail. And if you think I'm standing here because I've arrived on this, I haven't. Especially in preparing this message, there's just multiple situations I've dealt with over the past month of just confronting my own hostility and my own preferences. As leaders, we have our preferences too. Um, And we contribute, just like Tish said, like we contribute to the brokenness of the church. So we're in this together. Um, And the rest of Tish's quote, just to kind of bring the hope up a little bit. um, But here too, we see God's power. Because in this body of Christ, we find a place where we can be gloriously and devastatingly human. We find a place where we can fail and repent and grow and receive grace and be made new. Like a family, but even closer than a family, we can learn to live together weak and human in the goodness and transformation of God. And that's our, that's our hope, that's the good news, is that we have the ability to live in unity and peace with one another. And the last thing I would ask you to look at and just think about is unity, not uniformity. So growing up in the church, unity in my mind was always uniformity. Like you agree on every decision. Um, it, yeah, we all look the same. And that's, that's unity in terms of even leadership. Like we all think the same things. And so I think we need to remember that like all Christians are not alike. Um, and that's not what unity looks like. There isn't a mold that where everyone is identical and uniform. We're not, we're not always going to share the same theological stance. situations but um, we're uniquely created and gifted by God and we can still be unified in that we can still love one another in that this quote by AJ Swoboda says today in a world where we can find whole communities of people who think like us share our values and have common like we are trading in our ethical relationships for peg relationships the result is troubling We do not really need to love anybody who is different if we do not feel like it. We can cower in the corner with all the people we agree with. And I think it's really easy to do this within the church. You get together with a group of people who think like you, who have the same worship preference as you, who have the same leadership style as you. It's really easy to do that. And we're really like limiting ourselves when we do that because, and we're limiting God because that's not his view of like what his church is supposed to look like. And here's the deal. If you're trying to avoid someone, like you're gonna spend eternity with them. Like, (laughs) I mean, you might as well get comfortable now. (laughs) So, just a thought. So when our own like individual individual preferences for the church become more important than loving those next to us, then we no longer see unity within the church. And if the unity is not there, then the peace is not there. And if the peace isn't there, what else is not there? The dwelling place of God's spirit. 
because that was why Jesus came and created this new man, this new humanity, was to have a dwelling place for his spirit. Yeah. So we're all God's children. We're all part of his kingdom and household. No matter your, no matter your race, your gender, your socioeconomic status, or even where you land on theological issues, we are part, all part of his kingdom equally. And it's so important for Jesus, this unity that he gave his life for it. And so I think it has to be important for us. Like, we have to kind of pause and say, like, maybe we need to take this more seriously. And so this is a unity that only the love of God can bring. And when God, when we have this unity and we have peace, that's where the Spirit of God dwells. And so as we close, band, you can go ahead and come up. Um, So I know I went through like a lot of biblical history really fast. It may, it, it may have been a little bit boring to you, but just this morning as we close, I would ask you just to kind of think of where you are in this. Like think about any walls or barriers or maybe hostility that, that you're bringing. Um, maybe there's walls that you see within the church and maybe you're trying to like pick them down, but that's not really And so I would encourage you to encourage you to speak peace with one another. Um, we're talking about interpersonal relationships here, and um, I'm going to leave you with this. This is from one of my friends, Bob. I don't know if some of you know Bob. Um, he and his family are moving to Chicago this week, actually, and he's going to be planting a church in the CIA. And he was stayed at our house, our nice house, <clears throat> quite a bit over this past month. And so we would get into these long discussions at night. About theology, about the church. It was just really last till about midnight every night. We were all exhausted. And I remember Bob telling us about the three eights. It was something that his dad had taught him. His dad was a pastor. And I'm speaking of interpersonal relationships here. So the first A is to accept what you can't change in someone else. Like accept what's in someone else that you can't change. And the second thing is to affirm what you Find something that you can affirm. And then the third is to assert what you need. And so we found, even in talking, that when you assert without affirming, it's aggression. And so just as you're seeking to like make peace maybe with one another, or people outside of this church specifically, but in the greater church, I would just encourage you to think of making peace in a non-hostile, non-aggressive way. Um, but a peace the peace that Jesus gives us. Um, and we see the way Paul walks alongside the Gentiles and the Jews trying to reconcile. Just pray that we would be a church of reconciliation. And that we would be a picture of the greater church, like for our city. Because if our churches can't lead in peace, then like how are we looking any different to the rest?